All right, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time uh, as we get ready to read the Holy Word of God. Always excited to see how God is going to use His Word. The Word of God is inspiring. The Word of God is convicting. Uh, The Word of God can correct us. The Word of God can do all sorts of things. And so this morning, uh, open your hearts as we get into the Word of God. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. The Bible says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. God is a promise keeper. Amen. And so if he's made a promise, he will fulfill it. And Mary said, verse 46, my soul gratifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you again uh, for your holy word. I pray, God, that you would speak to us this morning, encourage us, inspire us, uh, set our heart uh, uh, on fire for you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. All right, well, today we are beginning a new message series called Classic Christmas Carols. Classic Christmas Carols. From the Bible to your ears, classic Christmas carols. So listen, now that Thanksgiving is behind us and we have possibly survived Black Friday shopping, anybody do that crazy Black Friday shopping thing? Most of you are like, no, a couple of you are yes and you're adventurous. And uh, listen, love it or hate it, the airwaves will now be filled by Christmas music. Even if you wanted to, there's possibly, there, there, there's, there's no possible way for you to escape the Christmas carols over the next few weeks. You'll hear them in church. You'll hear them while you're shopping. You'll hear them when you're on hold with the, the cable or the power company. You'll hear them out of kids' mouths. You'll hear them 24-7 on local radio. You see, Christmas and music go hand in hand Now listen, the tradition of singing carols at Christmas 
uh, can actually be traced all the way back to the very beginning, long before Nat King Cole, Frank Sinatra, Mariah Carey uh, sang the songs of Christmas. The Bible introduced a few people that, a few that pe people rarely know. For example, the nativity story in the Gospel of Luke actually contains four short songs, four short carols, and unlike some of the familiar tunes we'll hear on the radio this winter, these songs have not been written or performed by famous singers or even poets. Instead, men and women and angels sang spontaneously from the heart as they were inspired by the miracle of the birth of Jesus Christ. And listen, while we don't know their tune and their lyrics may not be all that familiar to us, these four songs form the first classic Christmas carols that were ever sung. Now listen, the first one comes from the heart and the lips of Jesus' younger, young mother, Mary. And most of you know, uh, here this morning, most of you know the story of Mary, but if you don't, once you hear it, you can never forget it. See, a teenage virgin was engaged to a local carpenter and is startled by an angel and is humbled by the announcement that she will bear, give birth to the Son of God. Her supernatural explanation for the pregnancy is actually unbelievable, even blasphemous. Her fiancé actually breaks up with her and, and Mary leaves town under a cloud of shame and suspicion to visit her aunt Elizabeth in the hillside country of Judea. See, if anyone can understand Mary's troubles, it's Elizabeth. She likewise experienced a miraculous conception. Even though Elizabeth was well beyond childbearing years, God had promised her a son in her old age. And by the time Mary arrives, Elizabeth is actually in her third trimester. And as soon as Mary knocked on her door and greeted her Aunt Elizabeth's child, leaped within her, and she knew instantly that Mary would be the mother of God's son. In Luke 1, in verse 42, she announces to her niece, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And then Mary responds to Elizabeth's blessing with a song of praise that has since been called the Magnificant. The Magnificant. And I know it sounds like a name of a superhero cat to me, uh, but it's actually Latin for my soul magnifies. My soul magnifies. And listen, this is exactly what Mary does here. She magnifies the Lord with this heartfelt song as she sings it, and it becomes one of the first classic Christmas carols ever to be recorded in all of history. And in it, she specifically magnifies three qualities or traits of our Heavenly Father. And so first, if you're writing notes, first Mary praises God for being mindful. She praises God for being mindful. Now listen, there's a story about a little girl who watched her mom and her dad get ready for Christmas and, and see her dad seemed to be preoccupied with uh, burdens and bundles and her mom was caught up with parties and presents and so neither had time for her and, and she felt like she was being ignored. Anybody ever feel like you've been ignored? 
Especially after hearing one of her parents say to her, would you please get out of the way? That night before going to sleep, she actually knelt by her bed and prayed this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, please forgive our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. Listen, none of us like to be ignored. None of us. On the contrary, we want to be noticed. We want people to, to, we want to go out of our way so that people will notice us. And in Luke chapter 1 and verse 46, Mary's Christmas carol begins when she sings, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful, say mindful. mindful. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. See, Mary was genuinely surprised that God would actually notice someone like her. In Luke chapter 1, verse 48, the New Living Translation uh, 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 translates this shock with Mary's words when she says, For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. He took notice of his lowly servant girl. And simply put, some would say that Mary was kind of like a, a nobody. See, Mary wasn't a princess and Mary wasn't a prophetess. Uh, Mary had never written a book. She had never held political office. Uh, she had uh, 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 never graduated high school or went to college. Uh, Mary probably never visited the big city and she probably never traveled more than a, a hundred miles from her hometown. And did I mention that her hometown was Nazareth? Nazareth. I mean, the, the fact that Mary lived in Nazareth means that she came from humble beginnings. Uh, you might be able to fill in the blank on whatever city or town you're from. See, Nazareth wasn't known for very much. It was actually a very small, insignificant town on the outskirts of a, a Roman garrison. It boasted a few bars, a, a red light district that offered a little weekend entertainment to imperial soldiers, and some estimates actually put the population of Nazareth during the day of Jesus at around a hundred. Needless to say, Nazareth wasn't the biggest star in the ancient Near, e in the ancient near East. And uh, it was more of a wide spot on the road. There was even a saying once repeated by Nathaniel in, in the Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come from, again, you can fill in the blank of wherever maybe you've been from. And it seems like this little dig was repeated uh, often enough that Mary became convinced that the answer was maybe no. Maybe it was no. Maybe Mary felt just as small and just as insignificant as her hometown. Now, listen, I'm dating myself a little bit, but are there any uh, Doctor Who fans in the house? Anybody a couple of you, a few of you, uh, some of you are like, what are you talking about, Doctor, Doctor Who? So Doctor Who was a sci-fi show about a time-traveling doctor who repeatedly saves the world. 
And in one episode, Doctor Who and his companions, they actually have to sneak into an underground facility undetected. And in order to do so, the doctor uses a device called the perception filter. The device has a telepathic effect which misdirects the senses around itself or for the person actually using it. In other words, it doesn't make you invisible. It just makes you unnoticeable. And so when someone looks at you, their brain simply dismisses you as unimportant and explaining the device to his companion, companions, Dr. Who says, oh, I know what that's like. It's, it's like when you fancy someone and they don't even know you exist. That's what it's like. That's what it's like being unnoticed. That's what it's like. Given Mary's situation and circumstances, it sounds like she was wearing a perception filter her whole life. And maybe this morning you can relate, some of you. Some of you come from small towns. Some of you come maybe from humble beginnings. And maybe you feel invisible at times. As if no one even notices you. As if no one would maybe even miss you if you weren't really around. But you know what? God noticed Mary. He noticed her. He was mindful of her. Say mindful one more time. He was mindful of her. And God, listen, God, your creator, he notices you too. See, you may never have the attention of the world, but you have the attention of the one who made it all. In fact, he made you. Psalm 139 and verse 14 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so praise God, you don't need to look a certain way to get God's attention. He created you wonderfully complex. You don't need to lose any weight to get God's attention. You don't need to get a degree. You don't need to get a promotion. You don't need to have the right friends or drive a certain car or live in a bigger house or be popular to be noticed by God. He sees you. He's mindful of you. God sees you. He knows you. He wants you. He notices you. Plus, he, he knows what you're going through at any given moment. See, maybe you're struggling during the season. Maybe you're looking at Christmas and it kind of looks overwhelming. Maybe you can't afford all the presents this year. Maybe this is your first Christmas without a loved one that you have recently lost. Maybe you are just feeling stressed and, and lonely and, and unnoticed. Well, I want you to know this morning that God knows all about it. He is mindful of you. He actually sees you. He actually cares about you. And so God is just as mindful of you as he was of Mary. But see, God's not only mindful, he's also mighty. Say mighty. God is mighty. As, as Mary's Christmas carol continues in Luke 1:49, she sings, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Has God done any great things for any of you? He who is mighty has done great things for me. And then in verse 51, she sings, His mighty arm has done tremendous things. I can almost imagine Mary resting her hands, her arms, 
on her pregnant belly as she sings these lines. The mighty one performed mighty deeds for, for both Mary and Elizabeth, miraculously placing life into their empty wombs. And, and listen, we have a variety of names for, for this miracle of might. We can call it the incarnation of Christ. We can call it the immaculate conception. We can call it uh, the virgin birth. And yet we talk about Christ's conception and birth so casually during this season, especially around Christmas time, that we sometimes forget what a mighty miracle it was. In Luke chapter 1, 30 and 31, when the angel Gabriel first appeared to Mary, he announced, don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Mary then responds in verse 34, the way any normal, rational person would, right? Asking, how will this be since I have not known a man, since I am a virgin? Now listen, Mary, she knew about the birds and the bees. She knew perfectly well how babies were made. And so when the angel told her that she would conceive a child, she was thinking about the natural way that these sorts of things happen. But God had something mighty in mind. God had something supernatural in order for her in her life. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, Gabriel answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God and so it was the Holy Spirit and the power of God that created life in the womb of Mary. In fact, the virgin birth is a pure miracle of the highest order, a mighty deed performed by the mighty one. Anybody believe that God still does mighty deeds today? You see, the, the same mighty power at work within Mary's womb, whether you realize it or not, is at work within you. Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Now all glory to God who is able, say able, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. His mighty power at work within us can accomplish more than we ask or think. Anybody have any dreams this morning? Any desires? Any hopes? Any prayers that need to be answered? I want you not to forget this morning that we have a mighty, mighty God who can do far more than we can imagine. I like to say it all the time. If you allow him, God will blow your mind. If you allow him, God will perform a miracle. If you'll allow him, God will do something in your life that you will never, ever be the same. Your walk with Jesus does not have to be boring. Your, you living your life for the Lord does not have to be a dead, dreary thing. It can be a thing of life, abundant life, 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 and more life. You just got to let him in. You just got to let him lead. 
You just got to let him have his way. Let him display his might in your life. No matter what you might be facing, God can help you. Nothing is too hard for our God, amen? In fact, no, no need is too great for our God to meet. No problem is too complicated for God to solve. No foe is too strong for him to conquer. No prayer is too difficult for God to answer. Remember, God performed a mighty miracle for Mary, and he can do the same for you, and he can do the same for me. And so not only is God mindful, and not only is God mighty, but he is also merciful. He's merciful. Way, way back in the pre-digital Polaroid picture era, a professional photographer set up his camera in the park offering to take pictures of, of people as they pass by. And one boisterous young woman seemed particularly excited to have her picture taken. And she gladly paid the photographer and, and walked off with her photo. But as the picture emerged, I don't know if you know what we're talking about when we're talking about Polaroids, it was like magic, a little magic square. Like now we just, you take the picture and there it is, but Polaroids, man, I love Polaroids. You shake that thing, you're waiting for it, and all of a sudden you see the picture seconds later of what you took, and that's what happened to this lady. The picture emerged, she quickly turned back and said to the photographer, hey, hey, I want my money back. That picture doesn't do me justice. The photographer looked at the picture and then looked at, back at the woman, said, lady, you don't need justice. What you need is mercy. <laughs> I know, I know. Pastor Freddie, that is so mean. There are children, Pastor Freddie. But sometimes people are, well, I, don't, I don't want you to miss the point. Um, we all need mercy. We all need mercy for all kinds of things in different situations. Listen, the same is true for all of us this morning. And as Mary continues her Christmas carol, she enthusiastically praises God for his mercy. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 50, she sings, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Listen, at this point, Mary takes the focus off of herself and what God has done for her personally and broadens the scope of her song. Again, we're talking about classic Christmas carols, and she uses this carol to praise God for the mercy that he will show to Israel and to all people from generation to generation through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In fact, she highlights three specific groups of people who, whom God shows mercy to. First, God is merciful to the humble. Say humble. God is merciful to the humble. In verse 52, Mary sings, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. And see, God loves losers and little guys of the world. Philip Yancey writes, as I read the birth stories about Jesus, I cannot help but to conclude that through the world, though the world may be tilted toward the rich and powerful, God is tilted every single time towards the underdog. Our Heavenly Father lifts up the lowly. 
And so listen, humility goes a long way with God. Second, God is merciful to the hungry. In verse 53, Mary sings, He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. See, God doesn't turn away beggars. But I, listen, I doubt that Mary had food in mind here years later. And Mary's baby boy put it this way in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The truth is, when we come to God hungry, when we come to Him, He will never turn us away. Instead, He will fill you up. Finally, God is merciful to the helpless. Worship team, come on back. God is merciful to the helpless. Anybody here ever felt helpless? God is merciful. In Luke chapter 1, 54 and 55, Mary sings, He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. Here, Mary recalls the covenant of God, the covenant that He made with Abraham, promising that He would one day send a Savior to rescue His people. And again, our God is a promise keeper. Remember, the people of Israel, just like you and me, were so lost in sin, they couldn't possibly have saved themselves. They were helpless. Therefore, by sending Jesus into this world, God gave us mercy rather than justice, and thank God for that. Listen, you and I, we all here this morning, we deserve justice, we deserve justice. But He gave us mercy. God is always on the side of the humble, the hurting, the hungry. He's cheering on the orphan and the widow. He's for the baby in the womb. He's for the elderly, the poor, the disabled, the deaf, the blind, the feeble. Remember, God cares for those who can't care for themselves. And while Mary's focus is on God's mercy for humanity, I think we can stand to be a little bit more merciful ourselves especially at Christmas time. Truth is, there are hurting, hungry, and helpless people all around us just waiting to be noticed. I would say let's follow our Heavenly Father's footsteps. Let's determine to show mercy and grace to those in need this Christmas. Listen, while you're not likely to hear Mary's classic Christmas carol on the top 10 radio hit list this Christmas, you'll likely hear both classic and modern carols about a mighty God who was mindful and merciful enough to enter our world through a virgin's womb on a stable floor. See, we all have our favorite carols, but the truth is that to enjoy the true meaning of Christmas, it must be your song. It must be your carol rising up from within your soul. And so I wanna encourage you this morning to meditate this Christmas season on the ways that God has been mindful to you, merciful toward you, and the mighty deeds that he has done in your life. And then you will sing classic Christmas carols like Mary's, rising up from within a merry heart. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for 
this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for reminders. You are a good God. You are a mighty God. You are a great provider. We thank you, God, for our jobs. We thank you, Lord, for the doors that you have opened. We thank you, God, for taking care of our family over the years. We thank you for a roof over our head. We thank you for, for uh, you know, the gifts that we're able to give and receive. But, Lord, in the midst of it all, I pray that we would never, ever forget, Lord, the reason for the season, that being Jesus Christ, and that, Lord, in no Knowing Jesus Christ, that we would want others to know him, that we would want others to receive the gift of salvation, that we would want others to be transformed by the greatest miracle, salvation, a revelation of Jesus Christ that will change their lives forever and ever. And so God, I thank you. I thank you for these Christmas carols, obscure though they might be, unknown though they might be, Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for these four classic Christmas carols and their meaning to us. Touch our lives. Encourage us. Move us toward you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's close in worship.